Hello and welcome to another episode of Purdue University's Make Your Story podcast, celebrating student stories of making and creating new and exciting projects and innovations all over campus. My name is Dr. Annette Bohanek, and I work as an assistant professor and business information specialist at Purdue, and I am your host for today's podcast episode. As a librarian, I frequently see Purdue's library and information resources aiding in the research process that prefaces so many of these projects of making and creating. Today, our story explores a hot topic that has affected numerous disciplines, artificial intelligence. There are so many different tools available today that utilize artificial intelligence, with some of the key hallmarks of the resource being speed and efficiency. In this episode, we'll delve into the creation of one particular AI tool called Quasi and speak with its creators, Shantanu Roy and Thomas Stahura. I'm so thrilled to share my conversation with them here. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast. Uh, first of all, please take a moment and do tell me about yourselves and what you studied at Purdue. Yeah, um, my name is Sean Tenu. I'm currently a senior studying selling and sales management in the JW Marriott School of Hospitality and Tourism Management. Um, so I've very much been involved on the sales side of things, but I also love marketing, design, kind of anything that doesn't have to do with coding. I'm the guy. Yeah. And I guess on the flip side, my name's Thomas. Uh, I'm currently a senior in interdisciplinary engineering. I started out in computer engineering and realized that it wasn't really for me. I wanted to expand my horizons. Um, I do most of the coding. Um, I also do a, a lot of AI on the side. Um, I was very early into the big AI boom we're seeing now. Very cool. So fun. And I feel like AI in general is just such a hot topic now. So it's really fascinating, I think, in terms of how versatile it is and where it is applicable. And that's to, to almost everything really at this point. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely. Uh, so tell me a bit more then about Quasi then. How did your entrepreneurial journey with Quasi begin? Um, it's, yeah, it's, so I think before even quasi, just like the, how the two of us met, it was kind of a yeah. fun story where, um, I hosted like an entrepreneurship networking event, um, just kind of, cause I was like new to campus. This was like freshman, sophomore year around that time. COVID was still like super big, but I wanted to just meet more entrepreneurs and builders. Um, and then Thomas ended up coming to one of the events, um, that I hosted, I didn't really like him at the time because he was working on something kind of. Yeah. At the time, I was working on a different startup. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was in Datamine, uh, Corporate Partners, and I was interning for Kraft Heinz doing their doing um, AI review analytics. So I would essentially go to Amazon or wherever Kraft Heinz products are sold, scrape all the reviews, and then figure out, you know, if the consumers, customers are liking the product, they don't like the product, what do they like about it? What do they not like about it? What could, you know, Kraft Heinz do to change? Um, and I would make reports for Kraft Heinz. And I did this for Kraft Heinz and then got a, a bunch of friends, like a group of friends together from uh, back home. I'm from Seattle and started like a little review analyst company and basically just did that for other people besides Kraft Heinz. Yeah. And so kind of from, you know, he, he was sharing with me all of that. And I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, it was not my cup of tea. But um, then a couple months after the event, we like met up again because Thomas had a really interesting idea that he wanted to share. Yeah. 
during my time, uh, the previous startup was called Ponder. Um, Craft Times asked us to create a review, a single review summary of a bunch of reviews. And that's something I've never done before. I was doing like sentiment analysis, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I just went into Google, went to a bunch of forms and stumbled across this thing called GPT-2. And people were like, you know, you can just use this to summarize all these reviews. And I was like, oh, cool. So I got it running on my computer and I summarized the reviews and then I started messing with it. And I'm like, wait, this thing is really, really cool. Yeah. And at that time, that startup got into, we were one of the first startups to get into Microsoft for startups. It was like Microsoft's accelerator program. And Microsoft just made the first investment in open AI. And so I emailed um, my contact at Microsoft. I was like, hey, we're using this thing called GPT-2 for our business. We, I've heard that there's a GPT-3 at OpenAI and you guys just made an investment. Do you think I could get like access to it? And then the, the person responded like, what's GPT-3? So it's like, <laughs> okay. Uh, so then I went, so then he like forwarded me to somebody else, forwarded me to somebody else. And eventually I got in contact with somebody at OpenAI. And I was like, hey, work on this project. I hear you guys are working on GPT-3. Can I get access to it? And the guy was like, yeah, sure. So he gave me a basically a token, an access token, so I can, um, an API key, so I can use GPT-3. I was messing around with it and maybe doing a little bit of my homework with it. Um, and I made a website called Anything Expert. It was just like a chatbot. You could chat with it. And back then, all these applications that uses like OpenAI's API, it has to get approved by OpenAI or it can even get launched, all this stuff, all these hoops you have to go through. I just did none of that. I just like launched it and made a Reddit post and then it blew up and then we met, met a second time. Yeah, and Talk like about that. Yeah, and for context, this was like October, 2021. So this is over a okay. year before ChatGPT even launched. Yeah. So we like, so Thomas built like basically the first version of ChatGPT designed for like Purdue and like our homework and basically like an AI tutor. And so he was sharing me, uh, sharing with me this idea. And I was like, wait, this is super cool. This is, this is like one use case. Let's like see what, you know, we can create with this. And then what we ended up learning after just like talking uh, more and more was like, hey, this AI stuff is going to be the future. I mean, like we know that this is, this has tangible value, but making one specific use case, like a chatbot just for school, like if we end up charging for it, we're like, oh, there's going to be other competitors that come out and it'll be a price war. Eventually everything will be free and no one's going to win except for the customers, which is great. Um, but, you know, for as a business, that's not awesome. So we were like, okay, let's think about this a little bit more. Instead of making one use case, what if we could make a million use cases and all these micro like needs that every single person has, we could just build a platform that hosts all of it. And so basically other people can build their own use cases on top of our platform. And it's a super easy interface, like no code whatsoever. And then we'd essentially just charge for access to all the models as we call them um, for like basically next to nothing. And so that's how the first product came about with Quasi, which was like a marketplace of just little use cases that everyone could use. Um, and from there, we ended up learning a lot because thousands of thousands of people were using this product and we kind of bucketed them into two categories. One is like 
a lot of people are using it for productivity, which is kind of what we see now with ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. Then there's this second group, which a lot of people use for entertainment purposes, which we thought was kind mm-hmm. of interesting. And so we ended up exploring that a little bit more and started building a new product that we now call Fiction, um, which is essentially how can we use AI to personalize entertainment for every single person? How can we create compelling content mm-hmm. at scale for every single person. And so that's kind of a thesis we've been running with and that we're currently um, exploring further. Gotcha. And so do you feel is that kind of your main focus right now with Quasi is exploring that entertainment portion in more depth? Yeah, I, I think that like AI is still very new. And mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that a lot of people are using it in the right way, but also a lot of people are using it in like not not the best way. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. A good example is um like, you know, take an early computer, like imagine you're trying to sell a computer in like the eighties or early eighties, late seventies. It's like your, your value prop for the computer is, you know, you can do Excel on it or you can do spreadsheets on it and that helps. But when you're trying to sell that to a customer, they're like, well, I've already been doing like spreadsheets by hand. You know, why do I need to pay $5,000 for a computer to do it for me? Mm -hmm. And that is like a very valid point. Um, but everything changes when you need, when your spreadsheet has like a million rows. Now you can't do it by hand. Now all of a sudden the computer becomes extremely important. Mm-hmm. And if you're seeing very similar things with AI, it's like, you know, you can get AI to write you one poem or make one book. And, um, but anyone given enough time can, you know, make, make a poem, make a book. But where AI becomes invaluable is when you need to make a million different poems for a million different people. And we're, we're sort of not used to that. We're used to like this one size fits all world where, you know, you make one post on social media and that one thing gets seen by a million people. But now with AI, we're gonna soon see that you can make millions of different things for millions of different people um, made for them. And that is where I think the technology will truly become invaluable yeah and this is something that we see like like this is a a societal shift right it took over a decade for the computer in the 80s to like start uh, emerging into the mainstream and so you know this idea of personalized entertainment has kind of been around i mean we see it with tiktok with their recommendation engine but Mm -hmm. what they're doing is they're just funneling content that they think would be interesting to one person they're just like reusing the same content but we, what we're doing with fiction is we want to build and create brand new content for every individual, stuff that no one else has ever seen. Like you're the first person to ever see this thing and it's made just for you. And it's like this kind of like special feeling where it's like, wow, this, like, I'm really enjoying this. This is awesome. And so kind of doing that at scale, um, we're going to start to see more and more of this sort of personalized entertainment um, being generated on the fly. Yeah. And I think that's like just such an interesting aspect of it too because so much of this podcast focuses on like making and creation and this is just such a unique form of creation that is so curated i think to the individual at this sweeping like large scale that ai is able to do so i think that's just such an exciting thing and um yeah it's just so fascinating to to see it from from your perspective too and to hear about it for sure i mean i also think that Another thing that we've been thinking about a lot, especially with fiction, is like TikTok and a lot of these like platforms where they 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 push personalization on you. Say so like we're mm-hmm. making a personalized feed. I think one of the things that a lot of people have been talking about with AI is still, I think, relevant to TikTok, which is that 
it feels like I'm like as a creative, I'm being kept out of the process where AI mm -hmm. is generating stuff or TikTok is just recommending stuff at me. There's no level of right. interactivity where like on TikTok, I'm just doom scrolling and I'm not I'm not engaging with the content like I'm liking it. But is that really helping curate my content like it? I, I don't know. And same thing, like with even just using basic chat GPT, it's like a lot of these writers or artists, they feel threatened because it's like doing a lot of the heavy lifting. There is a happy medium where stuff can be a, a little bit more curated for you, but you still get to interact with it and help carve the way it goes. And so one of the main things that we built on fiction, which um, like that's live right now, is it's like AI generated short stories. But at the end of every chapter, you get to choose how the next chapter goes. It's like a it's like a choose your own adventure yeah totally so, uh -huh. right you get like three options it's like oh sally is going down this road the three options she gets hit by a car you know she like steps into a puddle or her friend says hi you can like choose an option and the story will automatically evolve and so mm -hmm. that is still involving you as the user in the creative process and so i think there's going to be this new era or new way of creating that will still need humans involved and so mm -hmm. i think that's something that is not being made right now. And we will really want to focus on that element too. So interesting. Well, and, and also, so I guess in terms of development, this uh, developing this rather and, and your development overall, how did libraries factor into your research process? What resources did you find yourself maybe like tapping into and using? Yeah, um, well, there's a bunch of like Python coding libraries um, that are very useful. And a lot of um, like OpenAI has made their own um, library, which is very popular. But I, I think that like a lot of the resources that we used is AI. Um, in in a weird way, it's helped us build this this app, this ecosystem. Um, all of us, at least all the developers, use um, GitHub Copilot, which is an AI tool that helps write code for you. Um, and using that tech and a, a bunch of other stuff that we've learned, um, we were able to like completely automate the writing of our backend. Um, we were able to completely switch the language of our code base, like midway through development and like code from scratch and launch our app on the app store in a week. Yeah. And on top of that, it's like even when it was like, you know, 2021, when ChatGPT didn't blow up and people were still saying NFTs are the future. What is this AI thing? We don't believe in it. Um, there was like a lot of research papers that we were looking into because way back when in like 2016, 2017, Google released the first version or like they wrote a huge paper about this thing called a transformer, which is what GPT is based off of. And so... Um, you know, getting access to those things, understanding the infrastructure and the foundational elements through the library system was also really helpful. Then from a business side, understanding those different elements, trying to understand like the art of creativity. It's like, you know, from a business perspective, it's one thing and, you know, meeting investor demands and metrics, but also thinking of it from a human centric perspective, because I'm a designer. So just leveraging all of these different resources, trying to see how we can merge kind of technology and like the liberal arts or kind of the human aspects of it, I think was something that the the Purdue libraries were very, very helpful with as well. Excellent. And then I think too, like kind of on the on the business side of things, we chatted about um, like market analysis pieces too. Were there any like tools that you found yourself relying upon in terms of thinking about the market overall or who you're 
potentially going to target this too? Yeah, I think especially when it comes to trying to predict the future or make like those um just like those huge vision um and like outlandish statements, right? As a startup, you kind of have to do that. Yeah. Um, you have to take a page out of the past. And so, you know, a lot of things that we were looking at was like Barnes and Nobles or Wattpad, which mm -hmm. was like a the first like online reading forums and those sort of areas where it's like a lot of these people that love just consuming content or they love reading books or they like this huge creative angles, understanding what worked in the past and how can you remaster that with a lot of these new technologies. And so yeah. really thinking about it from that angle, I think it was less about like doing analytics or market. It was more just like, what has been, what has this been the mentality towards these different areas and how can we mm -hmm. sort of bring it into the, the 22nd century? You know, if you think about it, it's like, yeah. how can we, add the technology layer that's emerging. So I think a lot of the research that we did was a lot semantic based and less analytics based. Great. Uh, and I, in terms of your your journey with this, uh, this particular uh, approach and, and quasi and all the developments there, what were some of the biggest challenges that you encountered along the way? Yeah, um, I think I'm sure there are many, but <laughs> there are many. Wow, this is a good question. I think, especially in the AI space, staying focused on one thing mm -hmm. is much harder to do than you think. Because we've had a lot of people, I've had professors come to me asking for chatbots. I've had Purdue come come to me ask asking me to build AIs, different companies, startups. We had a politician um, reach out the like from from the university um say like we want you to build an ai to help us with our political campaign we've it's had like crazy we've had microsoft put us in front of like brochure like a like the doordash of portugal in, yeah like, instacart of the netherlands wow. it's like crazy oh, oh my goodness. Different companies. <laughs> and they all want different things and there's so much opportunity and there's so many things that need to be made where it's i feel like at least speaking for myself the greatest challenge has just been to say no to a lot of these things um, yeah. and focus on one thing and i think for me this is just like thinking of it from a business perspective it's like a lot of people don't realize that ai is a technology it's not a solution and so you have to first find a problem that needs to be solved and for us we, we found that with like what is the next generation of entertainment how can we add people back into that creative process when it comes to being entertained and that is like a tangible problem. We didn't start with AI is cool. Let's figure out how we can implement it into something. And I think that that was a challenge that I've like learned and, and, and experienced firsthand, which was like, start with the problem, fall in love with that problem, and then figure out what technology you need and, and build it in order to like address it. So that was just like a huge challenge and a huge learning experience for me just through the through building quasi and fiction. Interesting. That's it's almost like the research process itself where you ideally you go in with some sort of a thought or a question that you have instead of just broadly <laughs> entering in uh, because uh, AI again, it's just something that that as we mentioned, like it is so varied. There are so many capabilities and so many potential 
things and issues that you can address with it. But yeah, approaching it from this really targeted, focused way, I think, hopefully settles down some of the other chaos that you can run into with it. Because again, it, it is, I think, uh, very easy to get off track with it because so much is also being done with it and being explored and for the first time, really, too. Yeah, so it's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even like drawing parallels to the research process, I think entrepreneurship is very similar to research except I would argue that it's a, it's like a lot more action-based where it's like, mm -hmm. hey, we sure. have a thesis, we have some proof, whether it's social proof or just like, you know, market trends, whatever it may be to back up this thesis. But instead of just like delving deeper into that thesis, we build a product to test it. And then we mm -hmm. say, okay, this worked. We talked to customers, we talked to investors. Investors are not interested. Customers are interested or investors love it. Customers don't. And then we kind of keep reworking that thesis. And so I feel like it's a very action-based research process, which I which I find totally. like way more gratifying because you get that immediate feedback, um, which is great. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And uh, what were some of the successes? Do you have like a specific moment that you're especially proud of or a particular moment in the, the creation of Quasi that really stands out? I, I'm at least speaking for myself, I just like making things. And I especially like making things that make things. And <laughs> I think, especially with entrepreneurship, there's so many like downs where when you have one up, it has to last like 10 downs. And yeah. <laughs> if you're going to keep going. So true. And, yeah. <laughs> and I think at least uh, a lot of what I found is like the, the thing I sort of fall in love with the most and like the most is, is the journey of the journey of entrepreneurship, the trial and error, the the little bits of learning that happen, um, and just building a cool thing with a bunch of cool people, and mm -hmm. just being able to talk about this this awesome tech and mm -hmm. and work with it every day. Yeah, and I mean, like one of those cool things that we ended up building was um, an AI like music radio station, and so this was like mm -hmm. February of 2022, so still before ChatGPT launched. Okay. We built um, and launched this like first AI music platform where you could just like endlessly stream music generated by AI in specific artists' voices. And this was like super early AI. It was super janky. But within a month, we got 12,000 listeners. And wow. it's it's like people really, they're like, this is so interesting. This is super cool. We were getting bombarded with like requests for like these sort of styles or whatever. And it was just super interesting. And I think that was like a, uh, like a clicking point for me, which is like, irrespective of like the 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 medium, whether it's like art, or like artwork, like imagery, text, music, whatever, that entertainment and AI was just like, there is an intersection there that's really yeah. interesting and to, to pursue it further. So I think that was like a really powerful and proud moment for me. Um, I also think it's just yeah. fun to see what other people have made. Oh yeah, like for we sure. We have a gallery and so you can see all these images and all these creations that other people have made. And it's just, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's fun. So, I think it's fun to it's see what so people cool. are making with the site. Yeah. It's like you, you have a brainchild and you get to see it kind of like evolve. It's, it's so, it's so fascinating. And like, um, yeah, just other people creating stuff is just so much fun and it's very motivating. That's awesome. And out of curiosity, does the uh, the AI like music station that's curated, uh, does that still exist in some form or? 
Mm -hmm. It's it's live right now, so it's quasi.market slash radio, I believe. Awesome. Um, Excellent. so you should be able to listen to it. It's still that very early version because we haven't touched it Okay. in a while. Um, <laughs> okay. as we built a lot of stuff, but it it it, it it's kind of like a cool time machine to go back to of like this is where Yeah. AI was. Even though it wasn't really that long ago. It it wasn't Well, live. no. It was crazy. <laughs> It was not yeah. that long ago, but Yeah. we it's like kind of like sat in time. And it's just really Yeah. cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess to close then, do you have any words of wisdom to any current makers and creators today? This is the, yeah, this is a great question. Um, I think for me, it's like, it, it, it's kind of twofold. One is just try to find other people that are also making and creating stuff. Because um, if you surround yourself with people that are constantly taking action, it's just so motivating inherently. Even if you're not building something, it'll make you want to build something. And um, I think being in, in the maker community, it's like the best community. It's like a one of the coolest subcultures to be a part of because um, you get to see things that you never get to see before. So I think placing yourself in those situations is great. I think another thing, especially for someone that is not technical, doesn't know how to code, especially with the AI boom, a lot of like people like me are very afraid of like, oh, I'm going to get, you know, written out or I'm going to get coded out. Um, I, I think there is so much value in kind of just knowing who you are, what value you add and how you can, still add like more and more um, to it. So just like understanding what you're good at, what you're interested in. If you want to build something, keep building along those lines. You, you leverage this technology to help you accelerate that. I think that's just one of those things where don't ever be afraid of new and emerging tech. Just try to embrace it as openly as possible. Take the time to learn it. If it's not for you, it's not for you. But just give it an honest try. Otherwise, you never know, right? Yeah, I think I would say, um, like, let your naivete lead the way. I don't know if that's a good thing, but I think when it comes to entrepreneurship, um, like, you don't know what you don't know. And nobody goes into entrepreneurship knowing everything or else, you know, the, the business would be phenomenal. And if you, it, going into business, it, it's sort of important to know that you don't know these things, but doing it anyways, because no one's going to be 100% prepared. I have met a lot of entrepreneurs that are like, oh, I'll, I'll start a startup, I'll start a project once I'm ready, once I am an expert in this domain. It's like, there's PhDs who don't start companies. Like, you can always learn more, you can always know more, but at some point, you just have to be like, I need to get started, let's get going. Absolutely. Well, I think those are all great words of advice then. Uh, with that being said, thank you so, so much for sharing your thoughts and your story on the Make Your Story podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank Awesome. you so Thank much. you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Make Your Story podcast. We certainly hope that you'll continue to tune in to future episodes and certainly continue exploring more information about the Make Your Story podcast. In order to access our website, please visit lib.purdue.edu slash makerpodcast. See you next time.